It is a big deal to argue a case here at the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, it's the kind of thing that most people would put at the top of their resume for the rest of their careers. We're about to introduce you to someone who has walked up to the lectern and looked into the probing eyes of the nine justices more than 100 times. What made him decide to take the case of the praying football coach? I'm Stuart Shepard, and this is First Liberty Live. I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest today. This is Paul Clement, who is a partner here at Kirkland & Ellis in D.C. He, he's got a huge resume, but I'll mention a highlight or two. He served as Solicitor General for the United States for a while, which is the attorney that argues on behalf of the U.S. in front of the Supreme Court. And uh, as part of that, that's the more than 100 cases, right, that help you rack those up. Uh, we'll get back to that in just a second. Uh, he's also argued cases that have helped literally shape the law in the United States of America over many years. And very soon, as a volunteer attorney, he's going to be adding to his list of cases that of Coach Joe Kennedy, and that's what we're talking about today. You also recognize, of course, my boss, Kelly Shackelford, who's President, CEO, and Chief Counsel for First Liberty Institute. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Paul. Great to be here. Great to be here. Good to see both of you. Thank you for making time for us today. Paul, uh, my, my colleague George uh, did the math, and he figured that over the last 100 years, only three people have argued more than 100 cases at the U.S. Supreme Court. You're one of those three. That puts you at the point where you can pretty much pick whatever case you want, and you picked this one. Why is your heart in this? Well, my heart's in this case because my heart's with, uh, with Coach Kennedy. Um, you know, nothing's more important than religious liberty in this country. And the idea that you had a coach who was fired for simply trying to have a private prayer at the end of a football game is, I mean, that's, that's what the Constitution is all about. Yeah. And Kelly, you've known Paul for a long time. Tell us how you two first got to be friends. You know, he might remember better than me. Uh, I think it was Santa Fe. Was it Santa Fe? I think uh, we were working on the Santa Fe case. Out of, out of Texas, not out of Texas, yeah. uh, where the, it was about whether you could have a, a, an election and let them elect who the, the person would be to represent the student body and then give an opening statement, which could include a prayer if you wanted, at the football game. Yeah. And uh, as I was working, I was working with Jay Sekulow, actually, on that case, and, uh, and we started doing a lot of moots, a lot of practice sessions, and uh, they brought in this young, uh, very talented attorney at the time, uh, Paul Clement. I think... That's when Kavanaugh. I think uh, Brett Kavanaugh ended up being involved on that too. So it, I think back to that, wow. and I think of what these are. You know, stars in our country now before the Supreme Court. But uh, that was, gosh, at least I don't know, 20 years ago, or is a long time. At least ago. Kelly. At <laughs> least Kelly. No, we had a, an amicus brief by uh, by then Brett Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh. We had another amicus brief by uh, Viet Din, who's yes. now the chief legal officer at Fo at Fox News. So it, uh, it was a great dream team uh, we assembled, and we still came up a vote or two short. Yes, but, uh, but, you know, the court's a little different now. Yes, it is. I think we'd have done a little better, but who knows? Kelly <laughs> was telling me you're also a Packers fan, and he, he had a little surprise gift for you back uh, a few years back. You want to tell us that story? Well, um, and again, Paul's the guy at the Supreme Court right now. If you have resources and you want the best, you hire Paul. And he hit a milestone, as you mentioned a little earlier, uh, he had his 100th argument, which, again, very few people have ever been able to say that. The reason he has that many arguments is because people want him to argue their case because he's the best. And so I knew he was a Packers fan. Uh, he and his kids actually came, stayed at our home for the Super Bowl when the Packers were in the Super Bowl. 
and uh, they were young and they're big now. <laughs> but uh, um, we thought, you know, a cool thing would be is if we could get him a Packers jersey that said 100 on it. Problem is, they didn't sell them. Because that's we, not a normal football number. No, and we <laughs> called and they said they couldn't do it. And we said, oh, come on. Now, this is from one of your heroes from your state uh, and one of the greatest Packer fans we know. And they agreed to do it. And so we surprised him at the celebration with the Packers jersey with the, uh, the number 100 on it. So you still have that? Or are you oh, it every weekend to wash the car? Of course I have that. I'll, 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 two things about that. First of all, I'm glad we no longer have to wear masks. But just in case, I, I, had, I had this ready to go that my sister made for me. So that, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's fantastic. But as for the 100 jersey, of course I still have that. That's one of my treasured possessions. And uh, I don't think Kelly even knows this, but um, and uh, you know this is this is a hot take. But I actually ha did a number of arguments during COVID where the arguments were over the phone, and so the normal dress code of wearing a suit and tie for the argument was out the window. So I actually wore the 100 uh, jersey for one of those arguments um, at the suggestion of one of my boys. So I love that. That's now, great. This is a busy season for you. This is, uh, ours is not the only case that you're arguing at the Supreme Court this particular session. Kelly used the word moot a second ago, which some people know what that means, others don't. Explain for us what it's like. What's the process that you go through to get ready to do one of these? Sure. Well, the moot courts is what Kelly was talking about, and they are the centerpiece of the preparation process. And what you want to do in those moot courts is you want to surround yourself with a bunch of really smart lawyers, um, ideally people who have argued cases in the Supreme Court themselves and know the court very well, maybe clerked on the court, and you just want to have them ask you all the hard questions that you think that you could possibly get uh, during the actual argument. So by the time of the argument, if you're doing the moots correctly, uh, the real argument actually is easier because you've heard a lot of these questions before. Yeah. Um, so that's really the idea behind the moot courts, and they are absolutely central to the preparation process. Uh, one of the things I do in each one of these moot courts is I have one of our uh, attorneys write down every question uh, that I'm asked during the moot courts. I don't ask them to write down the answers, because the answers can always get better. Yeah. Uh, but I want to know the questions, and those are one of the things when I'm in my final preparation process, I'll go back to those questions and essentially ask myself those questions and work on the answers to those questions. So, How do so you keep it all in your head? Well, it, it, look, nothing concentrates the mind like arguing in front of nine justices. I mean, you really you, you can't go up there underprepared. And yeah. so you really focus. And this is something, you know, uh, Kelly and I had sort of learned this together watching Jay Sekulow back in the day. Jay put in such effort into these the process of preparing for uh, for Supreme Court arguments, and and I've watched other great advocates over the years. And there's really it's one of these things in life nobody can do it for you. You really have to get in there and roll up your sleeves and do the work yourself. Yeah. Um, and it certainly makes it easier when you have a case like this, and it's such an important cause um, to do that hard work. But that's how you keep it in the head. There's no. I, I wish I could tell you there was some secret trick and. You know, I have some, you know, device that allows me to remember things and, you know, or cheat somehow. But there's just no substitute for the hard work in these cases. Very good. And Kelly, you've been through that process before. Describe what it's like when you're in the room waiting to throw open the door and go out there into the Supreme Court. What's that moment like? Well, the first time, you're, you're scared to death. You're in the lawyer's lounge, you know. That's the scariest time. Uh, I remember 1997. 
Uh, I can't remember being more scared than I was there, even though I was prepared. Um, but I noticed like a minute into the argument of my opponent thinking, I can beat this guy. And, think, and I remember thinking, you're not nervous at all anymore. So I think most people can identify with that. It's like any other sort of contest. This is a competition uh, for the truth and for ideas and for argument. And I think the same thing happened. Now, Paul's had so many arguments. I don't know that he has uh, the same level, you I'm sure. Get butterflies? Oh, absolutely. And, and I've said if, if, if they ever stop coming, I'm going to have to go do something else because <laughs> it's those butterflies that kind of get you to continue yes. to keep preparing during the last stages of the process. And, and I'll tell you, you know, one, the preparation that Paul's talking about is crucial, but there's also a gift in this. And Paul has a gift in this of he can have a record with 100,000 pages and he can summarize something in two sentences. That's a gift. Yeah. And you have to be able to do that in the oral argument. You have to be able to take a large amount of material, but figure out how to, in a really succinct way, communicate the truth to the justices. And uh, so you need that, but without the effort, without all the work, you're not going to be ready. Uh, you're not going to be ready for the questions. Uh, you're not going to be ready for, you know, how to shape your answers. And, and the humility, uh, you know, what you would have if you had a person that thought, I'm just great at this and I don't need any help. That's a disaster. Uh, instead, when you get all these different people that are great minds to hit you with questions, which is what's going to happen to Paul here yeah. over the next few weeks, they're going to come from a lot of perspectives that are different and they're going to bring out questions that you might not have ever thought about. Even though you prepared and thought about everything you could think about, that is great preparation, and it's really what you've got to do to be really ready for the case. Yeah. And we're down to it's first and goal. I mean, this is coming up on April 25th. What are the, the key? I don't want you to you know, show your, your, your game plan or, or anything, but what are the key arguments you're going to be making to the court? What will you be asking them to do? Well, the, this is an interesting case because usually you have a Supreme Court case and it's about one constitutional right. And here there's really two constitutional rights and another important constitutional principle all at stake in this case. So you have free speech rights of, of Coach Kennedy that are at issue here, but you also have religious exercise rights uh, that are available here. And you also, in, in addition to all of that, uh, the Establishment Clause looms large, and that's part of the defense that the school district has, that if they accommodate Coach Kennedy and his interest in, uh, in a personal prayer, then they will violate the Establishment Clause. Now, we think that's dead wrong, of course, um, and we think that's kind of the thinking that sort of held sway in the 60s and 70s, and we kind of hoped we'd seen the last of that. Uh, but, but I think, and in this case, will be an important precedent, I think, for maybe, you know, finally interring that way of thinking where, well, we can't, we, we'd, we'd love to do you a favor and let you engage in your religious exercise, but we can't do it because if we do, we'll be violating the Establishment Clause. That's, that's really a kind of pernicious way for governments to approach these issues, and it has been something they've done over the years, and so I think that's another aspect of this case. So there's a lot of layers to this onion. And that's part of what the preparation process uh, is really going to help us focus on, you know, where is, where are we most likely to get the questions? And then you still got to be ready for the other questions. Uh, we're going to be, if everything comes together technologically the way we hope it will, we'll be on the steps of the Supreme Court the morning of and streaming out the live, live audio of the argument from the courtroom as it happens. Something, and you mentioned the free exercise clause, something that is connected with that is, is something that may get mentioned in the course of the argument, and that is the Smith decision written by Antonin Scalia about 30 years ago or so. Uh, 
there is a possibility that that decision could be undone. At least some of the justices suggested that last time this came to them. Any thoughts about that? Well, we think very confidently that we're right under the existing precedent. So this is a case where it's a little bit, and what we've tried to do for the court is offer them a little bit of a menu. Um, you, can, you can sort of order from this part of the menu and just apply your existing precedents, and this can be a relatively straightforward case. Yeah. But both we and some of the other amici that have supported us in this case have also offered the court you know, some, some kind of more expensive items down the menu a little bit where they would revisit uh, some of their precedents. And the Smith case is, is one of those. Uh, you know, I have to say I clerked for Justice Scalia back in the day, and the Smith case is uh, a lot of my friends' least favorite Justice <laughs> Scalia opinion. And I love Justice Scalia. But yeah. No, no, he's, he's, he was a great, great jurist. And in this area of the law, at least back in kind of the early 90s when he was ad addressing this opinion, he was really just trying to create, I think, an administrable test um, for the court. But one of the things we've learned in the last 30 years, I think it's been, um, is that the, the test that had prevailed before Smith, that Justice Scalia was so worried about courts being able to administer, is the test that applies to the federal government under a statute. And the justices, including Justice Scalia, have been applying that federal statute, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, sometimes affectionately known as RIFRA. The, the justices have been applying that for 30 years. And they haven't had any great difficulties in applying that statute. So I think this is one of these situations where the court, whether it's in our case or the next case, may be ready to revisit Smith. And it won't even be because they come at the issue just fundamentally differently. I think it's going to be because 30 years of experience with this federal statute has shown the justices that a more protective approach in this area of the law is still something that judges can apply consistent with their judicial role. Yeah, and, and, yeah I was going to ask you, Kelly, to add to that. I would say that one of the things that's interesting is, in some ways, this case is a follow-up. The free exercise and the free speech adds to it, but in some ways, this is a follow-up to our Bladensburg Cross case. We had the Establishment Clause, which really a, it was creating a hostility to religion by the government, not what the founders intended. And it led to these results that were not, you know, not for religious freedom. They were almost using the Establishment Clause to attack the Free Exercise Clause, which is obviously not what the founders were writing. Yeah. This could be the next step in that, to say, no, that's not what we do. We're not trying to sort of religiously cleanse our society um, from any religion in public. And the idea that, as they said here, you know, if, if, if anyone sees the coach praying that that's a violation, um, that's that old way of thinking that I don't, I don't think the founders ever intended, and I think the court's moving away from that. This could be the significant next step in moving away from that, but it's also so unusual because we just, we've never had a case at the Supreme Court uh, that involves either teachers or coaches and their religious freedoms. Um, they clearly are protected. There's a, an old case called Tinker that says neither teachers nor students leave their First Amendment rights. But it's never really been dealt with. And I think this is a great case to do that because of what Coach Kennedy was trying to do, which was just pray silently by himself for 15 or 20 seconds after the game. Um, if you can't do that, then what really can you do? Can teachers pray over their meal? No. Can I mean, it would lead to just a, a, an evacuation of religious freedom of people that work for the government all over the country. So I think this is a – I'm hopeful, we're prayer, prayerful that this is the next step from the American Legion case, the Blainsburg Cross case, 
to now the Coach Kennedy case. And, and something I want to point out uh, for anybody that's hearing about this for the first time, Coach Kennedy will get no bill from any of us for the representation he's getting. He's getting top legal representation in the country. Nothing. I mean, uh, uh, he couldn't afford it even if he, if he could make an offer on that. But also it's worth pointing out that all he's asking for in this case, as far as him in particular, I mean, we, we just talked about all the details of how it might impact the law at large, but when it comes to Coach Kennedy, he is asking for... He's just asking for his job back and to be able to continue to pray. No money? No money, and, you know, I think that's... Look, we, we work on this with, with Kelly and the rest of his team as volunteers, and we are really happy to do that. It would be tempting and, you know, just, frankly, given everything that Coach Kennedy has suffered as a result of the school board's policy to seek damages um, in a case like this. A lot of other lawyers would seek damages in a case like this, but, but that's not really what it's about. It's, it's just about giving the coach the opportunity to A, get his job back, and B, get the job back on terms that are consistent with his religious liberty. Very good. And, and I'll tell you, this goes without saying, but I, I need to say it anyway. To have Paul Clement uh, give his time. I mean, he's the very best at the Supreme Court. This is a huge case. It's going to set landmark precedent, in my opinion, for the future. Yeah. Uh, this is priceless. And uh, so we we can't thank Paul enough for what he's doing. And uh, it's really a gift to our country. So anyway, just just a blessing that I don't I don't want us to, you know, miss. Uh, this is part of uh, what will really have an impact on this case. And uh, really a lot of people's lives, I think this will affect millions and millions of people's lives in the future. Everybody who works from the government, certainly every coach, every teacher, uh, and their freedoms under the First Amendment. Well, and it's really, it, look, it's my, it's, it's my privilege to get to play a part in this. And I'm you know, very pleased to have the opportunity to sort of you know, take the lead at a place that I know very well, which is the Supreme Court. But I, I just need to return all of the words of praise here because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Kelly and it's Hiram and it's other people at First Liberty who are out there on the front lines day after day. You know, some of these cases, we, we get justice before we have to file a lawsuit. Some of these cases, they get justice at the trial court level and the other side sort of, you know, raises the white flag before the appeals. So it's, it's what, what I'm involved here is... You can think of it as the pinnacle of the legal process at the Supreme Court, but it's a tip of the iceberg that Kelly and First Liberty do, and that's such important work. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to know you, um, privileged to know you for a couple of decades now, <laughs> um, and, and really privileged to get the opportunity to, to work with you on this case. All right. Goes here, too. <laughs> when we think about you, I, I've been sharing with people that I had, was going to have the opportunity to talk to you, and the words that, that kept coming to mind to describe you, because I've, I've listened to some of your arguments at the court, brilliant, accessible, and with a keen sense of humor. And I'm going to add also, good-hearted, good man. Well, thank you. I can't, I, I can't beat that, and I try to be humble, but you're, <laughs> you're making it hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are looking forward to everything that's going to happen on the 25th. A uh, couple quick questions before we're done. Uh, for those that will be listening in, I just want to set the scene for you a little bit before we go, and that is uh, under the Roberts Court, they've changed up a little bit what happens in the courtroom and what people are going to hear as this is going on. And, and that for many, if you don't know, you wouldn't notice that they were different, but help people understand what is he doing differently that they might pick up on as they listen to the argument. Well, one big difference is at the very beginning of the argument, I should have about two minutes 
where I'll be able to just lay out our basic thoughts about the case. And two minutes doesn't seem like much, doesn't seem like a big deal, but that's revolutionary. That never happened before. That never used to happen. In fact, one of the things I remember very vividly from some of these like moot courts we used to do um, back in particularly the Rehnquist court where you typically would get an interruption within just a couple of sentences, we would go over with a fine-tooth comb the opening sentences uh, that we plan to use with the court to figure out, okay, what kind of sentence is going to prompt a question, and is it the kind of question we'd want to start with, or <laughs> is it not really where we'd want to start in the case? Yep. And now there's a little bit more freedom to really sort of think through. It's only three or four paragraphs is, 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 is as much as it amounts to, but you still get to set the stage in the way that you would like to. And sometimes it'll, it'll help you get an important point out that you might otherwise worry wouldn't come out in the back and forth. I think in a case like this, it'll give us an opportunity to sort of note the way the various constitutional provisions are at issue here. Um, we'd like to win across the board, of course, but, but we can win this case under the free speech clause. We can win this case under the free exercise clause. And so just laying out how those arguments work together, I think, is important. Then we'll, after the two minutes, we'll start hearing some questions. Um, another thing, quick. You know, they, they can come quick and they will, that, it, they will be rapid fire for uh, the rest of the time that we're up there. Um, one of the things that's, it's, it's not a change in the rules, but it's a change in the practice, is we might get a question from Justice Thomas. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was yeah. kind of notoriously uh, reticent uh, for, for a number of years, but with the COVID, there's been some changes in the format, and he's, his voice is, 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 is loud and proud at a lot of these arguments. Um, <laughs> I would joke with people, but it's true. I, I went my first hundred arguments without getting a question from Justice Thomas. Wow. And now I, it's been eight or nine in a row that I've gotten a question from That's him. Great. So it's really yeah. a big change, and it's, it's, it's great for the court, uh, and it's great for the advocates. Uh, and then the other thing that's different here, and is unfortunate, but as kind of a hangover of the COVID situation, the courtroom will be largely closed. Um, you know, normally, in, in normal times, the coach would be there in the audience. Um, we'd have a number of our sort of, you know, friends and supporters there. Uh, my wife would like to go to these arguments, and so she usually has a seat uh, that we reserve for. And none of that can happen now. It's really, it's, it's limited to the arguing lawyer, one other lawyer, and then the press is there. But that's it. So that's a big difference. Yeah. You know, one of the things I would tell people, because they don't know this, there's a couple of things going on as you'll listen to Paul during the oral argument. The justices have all been reading all the briefs that have been filed. And when I say briefs, I mean 50-page briefs. Yeah. Um, but they've, they haven't really talked amongst one another. And the first chance they get really is when the oral advocate steps up. So in addition to asking questions and coming after Paul with very difficult questions, they're also somewhat communicating to each other and trying to sort of build a coalition because just a few days later they'll go into a room and they'll vote just the nine of them yeah. and so this is a chance so when you're Paul you're having to not only go where you want to go in the argument and to answer the question but you're also reading what's going on with the court where the coalitions are what the arguments are being tried and so you you really have to move quickly mentally and uh, and Paul's again one of the best ever at this and so as people are listening, realize that that's the case, too. I mean, they've just been reading briefs. Yeah. Now they get to talk about it. They get to test. They get to probe. They get to make their point to the other justices through the hypo they throw. And so realize that that dynamic is going on as well. All right. Anything else before I let you go? I appreciate your time today. 
No, it's just been, uh, look, I've, it's been great to be with you. It's been a real pleasure to work w on this case with, with Kelly and his team. I guess the, the last thought I'll leave you with is, you know, this case is a great illustration of patience sometimes is rewarded mm -hmm. because it was three, four years ago that we tried to get the Supreme Court to take up Coach Kennedy's case the first time around. That was at, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but at an earlier stage of the case, preliminary injunction stage. And uh, we filed a petition. We did not get cert granted at that point, but we did get a separate statement from four justices written by Justice Alito that sort of said to the Ninth Circuit, you either fix this or we might be here uh, in a couple of years. <laughs> here uh, we are. The Ninth Circuit decided not to fix it, and here we are. But it really is, you know, it shows how much work goes into these cases, um, how much patience, unfortunately, Coach Kennedy has needed yeah. uh, in this case. But, but, you know, I think hopefully now that we're going to be there on the merits uh, in a couple of weeks, the, the patience will be rewarded. Amen. Looking As Coach Kennedy says, we're, we're – we're in the fourth quarter or maybe overtime, I don't know, but he, <laughs> he knows the game's not over, and, but this is what he's been waiting for. He finally gets his day in the Supreme Court, so it's a special time. I'm so proud of him for hanging in with this because it is a long slog to push through one of these, and his spirits have been up, and he's been positive, and he's been pushing all the way through to the end, and that's quite a statement to his character. We're very proud of, of Joe. Paul Clement, thank you so much. Kelly, thanks for hanging out with us today. As, as we've been hearing us mention, on April 25th, we will be live on the steps out in front of the Supreme Court, on the sidewalk, technically. And uh, we'll be live starting about 15, 20 minutes before the argument begins. And then we'll switch over and let you hear the live audio stream of those arguments, uh, the argument. And that's something new. Uh, we haven't been able to do that in the past because the court didn't offer it. So it's kind of a rare and special opportunity to get to listen in on this. Um, some of it gets a little technical, but generally you'll be able to follow along and I think you'll enjoy hearing it. So set your, mark it down on your calendar the morning of April 25th and we'll send you updates. If, if you haven't already, go subscribe at firstlibertylive.com and we'll let you know when that's coming up. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on First Liberty Live.